today with Exodus and looking at the Israelites as they wandered through the How's everybody's going? There we go, now you can hit record. Um, we're going to keep wandering through the desert with the Israelites today. Uh, there's been a bit of a breakdown in communication and it wasn't meant to be Mark, it was meant to be Matthew 6, 19 to 24, but we'll get there eventually in the end um, and fix all that up. So that's what we're going to be looking at today, the commandments. I don't have much luck with this today, am I? Um, so last week, what did we look at? The commandments, yep. And why did the Israelites fail last week? Why did we identify the Israelites not really doing well last week? Anyone remember? Because they what, sorry? In the too too hard, they yeah. yeah they they wanted things the easy way. That's right. They they wanted to do things the easy way. They they weren't willing to step out of their comfort zone um, and trust God. And then Jesus narrowed the Ten Commandments down to two: one being love God, and then the second being love your neighbours yourself. And we looked at the type of love that Jesus met, uh, used when he spoke about that and what that looks like. Now, today we're going to continue our journey, although we don't have to go too far because it's actually at the exact same location and today is the golden calf incident and how the Israelites um, handled things with Moses being up talking to God for a while and what the Israelites thought of all that. So before we start, how about we pray? Father, we thank you that you've given us your word. We thank you that you are the great and heavenly God, that you alone are worthy of worship. And I pray that your Holy Spirit will open our eyes and our minds and our ears to what you have to say to us today so that you will transform us, so that you will change us, so that our lives do worship you as you deserve. And I pray to you for this in your son's name. Amen. Now, there's a couple of interesting days around. Today is Dance Like a Chicken Day. But at the risk of um, creating a bit of chaos, I decided not to go with that. <laughs> Anyone know what yesterday was, but? Yeah, last week I cheated. I went forward a day. Today I'm going back a day. I can do that. <laughs> yesterday was windmill day. There you go. We, yesterday you were meant to celebrate windmills. 
And the interesting thing about windmills is that although they look impressive, and especially the old-style ones look really nice and really impressive, much better than the, the big metal 40-metre-high things that we see today on hilltops sort of thing. But the interesting thing about windmills is that they have no power of their own. If there's no wind, if there's no breeze, what are the windmills doing? Absolutely nothing. Exactly. They only fulfill their use when an outside force comes along. And we can be a bit like that, that we often allow outside forces to control us, to power us. The question is actually not so much if we let outside forces control us, but which ones are going to control us? Which ones are going to power us? Is it going to be the world around us or is it going to be God? That's what we're going to be looking at today. In a sense, we all are windmills. It's which power we're going to allow to power us. The world or God. So, I know a few months ago, in the second half of last year, we looked at worship as a spiritual discipline. But I really wanted to go back there and just um, remind us what worship actually is before we look at the golden calf and then look at what Jesus said about worship because it's really important to understand what worship is and what it's not. Because if we get this wrong, everything else is wrong. Everything else is faulty if we don't truly understand what worship is. And worship's not just an intellectual pursuit. It's not just an emotional feeling. It's not just some mystical consciousness thing. What worship is, is it's a presentation, is us presenting our entire selves as a living sacrifice to God. Everything we are, we give to God in worship. Okay? So worship in itself, you can worship whatever you want. And worship is holding something up with such reverence, with such honour, with dedication, with esteem, with a focus to bow down before it, to give it value. That is worship. When you worship something, you are honouring that. You are giving yourself to that. It could be God. It could be your work. It could be Parramatta, not that they deserve it. It could be... You can worship whatever you choose to worship. It can be your car. It can be the golf course. It can be a boat. It can be your friends. It can be your popularity ranking. But whatever you give honour and esteem and value to and offer yourself to and dedicate yourself to, that's what you worship. And so God is saying that I am alone worthy of worship. That was 
the first commandment last week, was it not? I am God alone. I am alone worthy of worship. And so when we worship God, we are saying that you alone, God, are worthy. You are worthy. We give you reverence. We give you honour. We give you ourselves. And in doing that, it's not just a, a verbal thing. It's not just an emotional thing. It's actually submitting to his will. To worship God, you not only say, hey, God, you're great. You're not just saying, oh, I feel like something's warm and fuzzy inside. What you're actually doing is you're actively submitting your life, your actions, your thoughts, everything to his will. That's worship. And if we're not doing that, then we're not truly worshipping God. And we'll come back to that thought about what is our top priority. We're going to come back and visit that later on today. So, in case anyone is unsure about worship, and if I haven't been clear enough about what worship is, worship is a 24-7 thing. Worship is not something you come to church on Sunday mornings and do for a couple of hours, then go home. That's not worship. Worship is 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 52 weeks a year. Worship is an all-time thing. All of ourselves, all of the time, in all that we do. Have I used enough alls, or do I need to throw a couple more in there? Just to... Just to clarify, <laughs> in everything that we do, all of the time, that is worship. That is what God demands. It's not what God asks for. It's not what God suggests. It's not what God says. Oh, I'd be really handy if you could. <laughs> it's what he demands. If we're going to be a follower of Jesus, that's what we have to give God. So let's look at the golden calf episode. This is happening while Moses is being given the Ten Commandments. Pretty ironic, isn't it? Pretty ironic that as God is saying, you will have no other gods before me, do not form gods in my image, and the other commandments, the Israelites are going, let's form a calf. <laughs> let's go worship a man-made God. Isn't it interesting if we flick back, why weren't the Israelites meeting with God themselves? Anyone remember? They were too scared to. Oh, this is too scary. You just go, Moses. You meet with God and we'll trust you. We'll follow you, Moses, if you just go and meet with God yourself. We'll do everything you say. We'll We'll follow you. We won't question you. We'll obey. We'll, we'll be good little Israelites. Just don't make us meet with God. And Moses goes, okay. 
So Moses goes and meets with God, and what do the Israelites do? They build a calf, and they worship it. They're still trying to be the boss. They still think they know best. Everything gets watered down. Crikey's there pretty pretty pathetic, aren't they? You know what's worse about what they did? Three and a half thousand years later, we're no better. We're still trying to water things down. We're still trying to take the easiest path. We're still trying to make our own life more comfortable rather than giving God what God demands and what God deserves. Three and a half thousand years later, we have not learnt a thing. I said a few weeks ago, it's an old saying, you would have heard it a million times. To know and not do is to not know. If you say you know something, but you're not doing it, then you don't know it. <laughs> it's that simple. Yes, God's number one. Okay, so how, how's it being lived out? What are you doing about it? Oh, 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 oh. Okay, well, you don't know it then. Because if you knew it, you'd live it out. If you knew God well enough, you'd live it out. You would worship him. You would actually give God what is God's. It's not God being greedy. It's God demanding what he deserves. And there's a big difference in that. So the Israelites have decided that Moses and God are not to be trusted and they take matters into their own hands and they build a calf. They build a calf out of gold the gold, ironically, that they took from Egypt. And they build a calf out of, out of this gold and they worship it. And if you look at um, what they did and if you look at verse 4, Aaron, he took what they handed him and made it into an idol, cast it in the shape of a calf, fashioning it with a tool. Then they said, these are your gods, Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. This golden calf is the one getting the credit and the thanks, and the praise, and the worship for bringing the Israelites out of Egypt. They then went down and worshipped it. Verse 6, so the next day the people rose early and sacrificed burnt offerings and presented fellowship offerings. Who? To God? No, to the calf. 
to the calf and presented fellowship offerings. Afterwards, they sat down to eat and drink and got up to indulge in revelry. You know what that word means? There's all sorts of interpretations as to what that's alluding to, but basically, drunken orgies is very much in the picture. That's one of the few things most of the commentators agree on with that word. Now, you think about the commandments, you think about God, you think about what he has demanded, what he has done for them, how that we live, and this is how they thank him. It's pretty mind-boggling, isn't it, really? But are we any better today? Seriously? And some people can say, oh, but we don't, we don't attribute to false gods. I don't worship that God or that God and I don't get, go into drunk orgies. You still attribute things to other groups, other people, to yourself that you should attribute to God. End of story. You are still worshipping things other than God. And to try and say, well, my, what I do isn't as bad as the Israelites is like akin to saying, well, he murdered someone, but I was only jealous. Therefore, I'm a good person and they're not a good person. The Bible doesn't have big and small sins. The Bible doesn't have big and small levels of false worship. Either you worship God or you don't. It's a pretty blunt sort of line. It's a very blunt sort of a line. We regularly worship things that are not worthy of our worship. Now, the second reading is a bit of a mix-up. It wasn't meant to be for Mark. It was meant to be for Matthew. It's all good. We can fix all things with a bit of creativity. So let me read it out. Matthew chapter 6. How about we just stick with... Oh, thank you. Yes, that's, that's good. Treasures in heaven, Matthew 6, 19 to 24. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye of the... The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and and money. So what does Jesus say? You, you, you're all sitting down for this shock? Ironically enough, Jesus says the same thing 
God the Father says. <laughs> that may come as a surprise to some people, but they're actually on the same page. You can't worship two things. You're devoted to one and not the other. You're devoted to one and not that one. There is one thing. At the end of the day, you will have one top priority in your life. When it comes to the crunch, there will be one thing that you give worship, honour, commitment and focus to above everything else. And that's not decided by your words, that's decided by your actions, by your choices, by what you choose to do. Sooner or later, there is one priority, one top billing. And it's whatever we decide and act upon that is worthy of our time, our energy, our focus, our commitment. You can say, I love God and I love church and I prioritise church, not because I have to go to church, but because I get to meet with my church family, I get to learn more about God, I, I get to do all these things. I don't have to be at church, but I realise that I grow as a Christian because I go to church and I help others to grow and I get to serve others and others get to serve men. I get to do all that and I love church. But I just can't make it this Sunday because it's been such a big week. That reveals more than just your diary. That reveals your priorities. Church doesn't change. It hasn't changed in five years. In five years, we've met here every single Sunday at 9.30 a.m. Not once have we changed the time. Yet people, I can't make it this week. It's been such a big week. Or they roll in at 9.45 every week. Am I picking on you? That's up to you to decide. I'm just telling it how it is. Church hasn't changed. Some people have said to me on occasions, well, what about if we started at 10? It just means people will arrive at 10 past 10. <laughs> Where are your priorities? What is worthy of your worship? Now, Jesus says here, you cannot serve both God and money. We can change the word money to whatever we want because he's trying to give teaching on a principle. Money was a big thing back in Jesus' day. The more money you had, the more influence you had, the more honour you had. Has anything changed 2,000 years later? No. But it's... You can change money for whatever you want. You cannot serve both God and popularity. You cannot serve both God and work. You cannot serve God and sporting club. You cannot serve, sooner or later, there's a top priority. Did you know that you can even have 
serving in church as your God? If you're serving in church, not because you get to serve and honour God, but because people will see how good I am. If I join the music band that's out the front so people can hear how awesome I am at singing, that's not serving God, that's serving self. You can go, I'm, I'm, I'm modest, I, I would never get up the front to sing or do anything like that. But you, you clean the hall each week to make sure it's spotless so that people can see how clean this hall is. You're serving yourself, not God. Yes, the hall needs to be cleaned. But why are you doing it? What's your motivation? What's going on in your head? Only you can answer that. But you need to answer that. It may sound harsh what I'm saying, but it needs to be said. Because we are meant to stand out as Christians. We are meant to be completely and utterly different to the world. The world's foundation is based on self. How I feel, my identity is most important to me and my identity is whatever I decide it is. As Christians, my identity is found in Christ. Christ defines who I am. I am not my own, I am bought with a price. What am I bought with? The blood of Christ. Why? Because I'm a screw-up. Because I've sinned. I've fallen short of God's standards. I am far from perfect. But for some reason, God loves me enough that he decided to save me from what I deserve. And he loves you more than what you deserve. Because you've sinned too. There is not one perfect person in this room. If you are perfect, please raise your hand. I'll give you a chocolate. You can take over the, the sermon. No hands. That's bad luck. <laughs> no one's perfect. Everyone has messed up. Who? Your spirit. The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is God. Paul says in Galatians 5.1, It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by the yoke of slavery. Free in Christ, burdened by the yoke of slavery. Doesn't that remind you, go back into Exodus, Israel, slavery, burdened, yoke. We don't really understand what yoke is these days unless you're growing up on a farm and had bullocks. We don't really get it so well. But bullocks had to work in pairs. The yoke links the two of them. They work together. You can't have one bullock and a yoke. It doesn't work like that. You need two. 
working in team. Jesus says, my yoke is light, i.e., I'll take the heavy stuff, you take the light stuff. And too often, the light stuff is still too heavy for us. We still get it wrong. (laughs) So how do we worship God? If God deserves to be number one, number one in our lives, nothing else, and he deserves it 24 hours a day, seven days a week, then how do we do that? What was that? Through a relationship. Let's go to Paul. Romans 12. Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your your bodies as living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Offer your bodies as living sacrifices. This is your true and proper worship. What does that mean? It means all of you, 24-7. Every thought, every word, every deed, every action, everywhere you go, everywhere you look, every time you speak, everyone you speak to, everything you do, whether it's cooking a dinner for yourself or hanging out the washing for your neighbour or whether it's talking to someone down the street, or the way you drive on the road, or every time, everything, doesn't matter if someone is watching or isn't watching, that you know of anyway. You live your life in worship of God, holy and pleasing to God. How do we do that? Good question, I'm glad you asked. The answer is in verse 2. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what is God's perfect will, his good, pleasing, perfect will. In other words, stop thinking like the world. Stop trying to fit in with the world. Stop trying to be like the world. If you're a true follower of Christ, and I mean follower, not believer, Believer's head knowledge, follower's heart knowledge. If you're a true follower of Christ, then you don't want to be like the world. It's not just a case of stop trying to fit in with the world. You don't want to be like the world because the world is a screwball place. It's almost like there's a competition now. How much can we reject of God and what God has taught and what society has been like for the last 2,000 years? How far away can we get from that? It's almost a race these days to see that. And all too often, churches are joining in the race. Hey, we're no different from you. It's okay. God just loves you. God is different. And if we are to worship God as God deserves, then we need to stop trying to fit in with the world. How are we going to be the light of the world, the salt of the earth, if we're just like the world and the earth? How is that worshipping God? Want to know why the Israelites built a calf, indulged in drunken sexual orgies, worshipped it? 
Because that's what they've seen happen for the last 400 years in Egypt. That's all they knew. They were in the desert trying to change their thinking from slave mentality to God mentality. They're a work in progress. Did they fail again? Yes, big time. Do we fail? Yes, big time. Are we growing? That's your choice. That's your choice whether you're growing closer and closer and closer to God. And it's seen by your choices over time. It is seen by your choices over time. I'm not going to embarrass people. I don't like to embarrass people, actually. I do, I lie. But I'm not going to on this occasion. But as I wrap up, I look around and there's been a number of people in this church over the years who are doing stuff now they would never have dreamed of doing even three years ago. They would never have dreamed of doing it. If I said to them three years ago, here's what you're going to be doing in three years' time, they would have laughed at me. They would have gone, no, you're crazy. Yet here they are doing it. Why? Because they're growing in Christ. They're understanding who they are. Because the love of the family is building them up more and more and they're feeling more confident to be able to step out and do those things because they know they're not going to be judged. And that's a wonderful thing, but the journey's just starting. The journey's just starting. So what do you do? What do you choose? What does your choices reveal about your priorities? Because as we agreed, there's only one number one priority and everything else falls in behind it. If God truly is number one priority, then everything else falls in behind it. Everything else. If God is not number one priority, then God falls in behind other priorities. But be honest enough with yourself to say that. God is not my number one priority. Until you can be completely honest with yourself, nothing's ever going to change. So before Catherine comes up to lead this last song, I want everyone to take a minute. I don't want anyone to speak to anyone. Don't speak to the person next to you. Don't speak to the person in front, behind, whatever. I want you just to sit there for a minute and just think, pray. Be honest with yourself as to where your priorities are. What is your life truly worshipping? Because if God is not number one in your life, your life is still worshipping something. It's just not God. But God makes the claim that I and I alone are worthy of your worship. Be honest enough 
to be able to say to yourself whether you are living your life that way or not. Catherine will come up in a minute to lead in the last song.